0: All right, well, welcome, Mercy Hill. Uh, My name is Nick, and I'm here to uh, get us into God's Word again. But before I uh, do that, let me at least just say happy Fourth of July weekend to you. I hope you guys were able to have a great time uh, and celebrate insofar as we're able, given all the parameters and guidelines and precautions Uh, Hopefully you guys are still able to enjoy it with family, maybe a few friends. Um, I will say, if you're new, uh, particularly just want to welcome you and introduce myself. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, if uh, you're interested in connecting with me or any other uh, leader at Mercy Hill, we'd be happy to do that, whether by phone, uh, Zoom, or even maybe like a social distance walk outside, whatever you feel comfortable with. we would love to connect and help you engage our community, even in this time of uh, quarantine and uh, kind of keeping our distance from one another. Uh, so uh, let me know. Uh, you can always hit me up, Nick at mercyhillchurch.org, or you can fill out that connection card link that you see where there are options for meeting with leaders and uh, getting some of your questions answered. But otherwise, guys, let's get in. We are um, going to be in Proverbs. Uh chapter three, verses five through eight. Someone this last week actually encouraged me to read Proverbs three. Wasn't planning to teach on this, um, but as I did I I, I was like, Wow Uh, Certain things jumped out at me, and I wanted to bring that to you. And what's nice about doing a little sermon series is you kind of can cherry-pick some of the really good texts in Scripture and engage uh, those, and so that's actually what we're doing. Probably one of the most uh, famous, one of the most beloved passages in all Scripture, Uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. Let me read it, we'll pray, and then uh, dive in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray. God, right now, there are awful lot of things for us to be afraid of. There's a laundry list of things we could probably freak out about right now. Some of us are probably freaking out about it right now. Deep in anxiety, struggling with fear, panic, worry, Lord, we need you to come in these moments and help us to see you. Help us even as Solomon, the author of of majority of Proverbs here says, help us to do what he says here to fear you, not all these other things, but you alone. So we know that uh, that's not something I can just conjure up. I can't whip up uh, the fear of the Lord by yelling or screaming or vivid preaching. We need the Spirit of God to come by way of the Word of God and encourage, increase in us the fear of God so that we're afraid of nothing else. That's the goal here this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would come and accomplish it for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So I had stepped out for a couple weeks uh, from the uh, Do Not Be Afraid series to address some of the racial injustice and tension and the unrest and stuff in our culture. Obviously, that's going to be an ongoing topic for us and one that we don't just want to touch here or there and then leave behind as if we're finished. No, hopefully those last couple sermons are really just the engine or the impetus for uh, what I hope will be ongoing church participation in uh... the concern the cause for racial justice and so that's just to get us started thinking and dreaming about as a church what can we be doing uh... to serve and to help the underserved and the oppressed Uh, but that being said, we're now dropping back into the series that was going before that, namely the Do Not Be Afraid sermon uh, series, and this may or may not be. I can't seem to identify when the Lord wants me to stop. This may be the last time. I'm not sure, Um, but uh, what we've been doing in that series is we've been, if you recall, just kind of dropping into places in Scripture where God talks about this idea of not being afraid, Uh, It's all over the scriptures, so I've just had a wonderful selection of texts to choose from. And you may be looking at the text that we're going to be addressing this morning and thinking, wait a minute, something's uh, different about this one, and if that's what you're noticing, you are right on. Because what we have here this morning is a text, rather than calling us away from fear, it's actually calling us towards it. It's actually calling us to it, Uh, but a different kind of fear, perhaps, than we've been otherwise accustomed to. Again, as I prayed, it's what Solomon calls here, the fear of the Lord, verse 7. Now, it's worth considering for a moment, um, we try to fight fear in all manner of different ways some perhaps more effective than others and i imagine especially in the context of what we have going on right now uh, we're trying we're we're desperate and trying everything we can get our hands on i just saw some statistics that said um, uh, about a third of americans right now in a survey um, about a third of americans can be considered clinically anxious clinically depressed right now. And they're saying that uh, in the category of of deaths, uh, suspected deaths, uh, or I guess deaths due to suspected overdoses, uh, so drugs and things, uh, in May, those deaths rose by 42%. And so we have a culture, we are in a situation right now where we're all trying to figure out, what do I do with the anxiety and the fear that I have? as all of my other kind of supporting structures are being removed from me, almost systematically, and I'm kind of left with nothing. Where do you go with this fear? What do you do to fight it? Um, Sometimes we fight fear by simple methods of distraction, right, so we binge watch Netflix for hours on end, we scroll our Facebook for hours on end, maybe even some of us uh, really get lost in our work uh, so we just distract ourselves with busyness so that we can kind of keep away from the stuff that may be distressing us in other places. Uh, so there's this idea of distraction. Sometimes, sometimes we try to numb it with drugs and alcohol. Hence the rise in those deaths I was talking about. Just please something to take away the fear, numb the fear. At least just kind of take the bite out of it a little bit. Other times we, uh, it seems to me, we, we attempt to kind of crowd it out. Um, of our system by, by kind of barraging ourselves with other more immediate, albeit fleeting pleasures. So here's where you have the people that just give themselves to eating because it just feels good. And in that way, it kind of crowds out the fear for a moment. Or even you got the, the more sexually you know, oriented stuff where you're on the internet or you're doing stuff you just should not be doing. But because it momentarily uh, feels good, it kind of replaces the fear or seems like it makes it uh, better, uh, although it never does. Um, Others perhaps fall victim to superstition, Um, uh, you know, the sort of obsessive compulsive idea where... Uh, because the world around you, outside of you, seems so crazy and disordered and out of control, you kind of get these weird little ticks where you, you're doing things in your little, your little small world where you can control them and, and give yourself this facade that everything is actually okay out there uh, when in reality it's not. But we kind of do these little superstitions that uh, make us feel a little better and make us feel momentarily in control and like things are in order or there are others of us who are kind of the type a uh personality and we deal with the fear we deal with the anxiety by coming up with more action plans <laughs> more schedule. Sketch- i mean we got strategizing sessions going on we're whiteboarding we're coming up with okay so the stocks are doing this okay so you know i'm losing this job but here you know we, we got our workflow we got our plan we're gonna take care of it we're not afraid because we can handle it um those are some of the ways that I see us trying to fight fear, but I wonder have we ever thought to fight fear with fear? <laughs> it, it sounds almost absurd at first, um, but upon closer examination, what we see is that it actually seems to be the essence of the biblical approach. You don't want to be afraid, fight it with fear. <laughs> it's crazy, it's wild. But I'll show you, I think, it's biblical. The title of this morning's message is, Do Not Be Afraid, Fear the Lord. And I recognize that it's a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek, but it gets at this idea, really, that the big problem uh, with regard to yours and my fear and anxiety is not so much that we are afraid of things, but that we aren't afraid of the right thing. If you didn't hear that, I'll just keep spinning off different ways to say it. The issue at bottom is not that we have too much fear, but that we actually have too little fear of God. We have great regard for this or that circumstance or trial or hardship, but little regard for the Lord who stands over it all. We get all... I mean, think about your life. We we get all worked up over um, these circumstances and these things in our lives, whether we're talking about, ah, I get, I get, all anxious and, and, and in a panic over the idea of failing a test or losing a job or shipwrecking a relationship or putting on weight or getting COVID-19 or letting a person down. I mean, you fill in the blank and I'm sure you have some things that if you just kind of let it enter in, your, your blood pressure starts to rise, your heart rate starts to rise and you're just thinking, ah, I'm in panic mode. We can get all worked up over those things, but then here's what you may also notice when we consider, not all that stuff, but when we consider standing in the presence of God, when we consider coming into the presence of the one who stands really outside of all time, the one who always was and always will be, has no beginning, has no end, when we consider standing in the presence of the one, coming into the presence of the one who dwells in unapproachable light, the one who sits enthroned above the heavens the one who with a word from his mouth creates worlds uh, the one who can calm the sea silence the 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 wind the one who can uh, you know heal the, the the blind restore the lame resurrect the dead um, the one who can see through Uh, our our external presentation and into the heart, uh, the one before whom or to whom we will give an account. When we consider that God, the God of the Bible, the reality is I think a lot of us actually remain relatively unmoved. We get all worked up over these little things here or there going on in our lives and the details of this and the details of that. And then when we consider the God who is over it all, we're kind of like, yeah, but eh. There's, there's something that, 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 that is missing. There's a disconnect. We have great thoughts of a great many things, great thoughts, that is, of everything except the only truly great thing among them all, namely God. And that is a great problem. And it's especially an issue for those of us who desperately, and I think we all do right now, want peace. We want to be unafraid and, 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 and not anxious. We want peace. And, and this is a problem. This is a problem if everything else seems so much bigger than the God who is over it all. Um, What Oswald Chambers says is true. Listen closely. I love this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. I'm going to read that one more time just because... I think it's so counterintuitive and also because we're going to be kind of unpacking that as we go. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. It's true. And the book of Proverbs really is is here to help us with this, I, I think, um, In fact, the the subject, the topic, the fear of the Lord, uh, really seems to me to be the the master theme of the entire book. Um, And uh, Solomon, who I've said is uh, largely the the author, it would seem, uh, of these various proverbs and things and of this book, uh, does not uh, hide uh, this fact. Uh, In fact, he puts this idea and this theme right at the outset of uh, chapter 1 verse 7 and this could really serve as the thesis uh, for the rest of the book of Proverbs. You've probably heard this if you're familiar with uh, the scriptures but here's what he writes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And the rest of the book is just a riff, it would seem, on that, and this division that takes place between the wise man and the foolish, and the dividing line really at bottom has to do with whether there is fear of the Lord or not, whether the person fears God or not. The fear of the Lord is really the starting point for the wise and fulfilling and peace-filled life. So our text this morning is um, really going to continue to kind of elaborate on this idea uh, for us, and I want to consider it together. I want to learn how to fight fear with fear, Um, and I think that's what we see here. So what we're going to do, we're going to kind of make our way through two headings in particular. First, what the fear of the Lord entails, what it consists of, what it is. And then secondly, what the fear of the Lord affects or what it brings about, what it causes in the lives of uh, those who have it. Um, So there's the agenda. Uh, But before we kind of dive in, I I think we'd do well just for a moment to remember that the book of Proverbs itself on the whole largely kind of frames itself uh, as this loving, wise dad, kind of giving counsel to his kids, Uh, just speaking to, in this case, I think his his son, telling him what's up and how to live and what's going on. And what I I think is so powerful about that is I think given the situation that we're in, but really at all times we probably feel this way, but don't you just want a dad right now? Don't you just, I mean, you may be an adult, you may be, you know, mature and looking at me like, what are you talking about? Don't you just feel like, I just want someone who's gone ahead of me to lovingly, wisely speak back into the place that I'm at right now. I, I kind of, if I'm honest, just want a lap that I could get up into <laughs> and just have uh, my dad just kind of, man, take the confusion, take the, 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 uh, the, the pressure, the anxiety, and unravel it and make some sense of it. Show me what's going on and what to do. And what's beautiful is, is I know we all want it. And here, um, God, through Solomon and the scriptures, really comes towards us to offer that. Um, And so we would do well to listen in. Um, So first, what the fear of the Lord entails, what the fear of the Lord entails uh, if you noticed in our text, we're given this sort of um, constellation, it would seem, of commands where uh, it's just kind of listing off these things, you know, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and it keeps kind of going. And what you realize is is all of them are sort of interrelated, interconnected, and each one kind of sheds light on, clarifies, qualifies the other. And um, if I could give us a, a, another Image for this, it's kind of like we have this diamond in our hand here, and uh, as we turn it, we're just kind of seeing various facets of the same basic reality, just a different way of looking at it, another thing that kind of adds another perspective uh, to it and fills out our understanding of it. And what I really just want to do is say, okay, listen. Um, for the sake of this sermon, really, as I look, the, the, the fear of the Lord is that diamond, if you will. It's the constellation. It's the diamond. It's, it's the, the core piece that we're trying to learn about. It's the focus of this sermon, and, and it's also really the focus, as I've said, in the book of Proverbs. So we're, we're, we're saying, okay, the fear of the Lord is this diamond, and as we go through these verses and these commands, we're just looking at different facets that fill out our understanding of it, what the fear of the Lord entails. That's what we want to know. That's what this text. Gives us. So I've got five aspects here that we're going to kind of turn and consider uh, and hopefully fill out our understanding. Um, We'll take them one by one. Aspect number one wholehearted trust. So what the fear of the Lord entails, number one wholehearted trust. So our text begins there in verse five trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, Um, we should say before we can really address this idea of trust and trusting in the Lord, um, there's actually a a prerequisite. There's something that's required before you can really even trust in him. Um, Namely, what I'm thinking here is a a knowledge of him, a knowledge of this God and his word. Before I can place my trust in him, I have to know something about him to trust in. And um, this idea is really hinted at right here in the command itself uh, with the name that Solomon uses for God Um, in the English it's probably for you it's the capital letters Lord but in the Hebrew that's just our way of translating Yahweh Um, which was God's covenant name revealed first to Moses there on Mount Sinai. And so trusting in the Lord, not just generic Elohim God, but Lord Yahweh, uh, means trusting in one that you know and trusting in one that knows you, trusting in one that you have relationship with. So there's this sort of prerequisite that we have actually been in God's word. We actually are learning about him, relating to him. We have a history. And uh, what's hinted at there with uh, this idea of the Lord is actually just made very explicit in the verses immediately preceding Uh, our text, namely verses 1 through 4 of Proverbs 3. There uh, we see that Solomon essentially says, listen, take what God is revealing to you here, take this law and these instructions, and then he says, verse 3, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So the idea is take God's word and bring it into yourself. Let it come into your ears, yes, sure, but then, but then you know, tie it around your neck, write it on the tablet of your heart, get it inside of you, read it, chew on it, meditate on it, know it. And all of this really then moves us towards verse five. So you know God's word, so you've put uh, uh, his word and instruction in your heart. Then the question comes, Do you trust it? Do you trust him? So you know what he says, you know who who he is. Do you trust him? That's the question that this first aspect is driving us towards. Do we trust him? Um, In this modern age, we are, it seems to me, I don't think anyone would argue, we're bombarded with more information than any previous generation, right? Uh, information coming at us from all angles and all our devices all the time and everyone has a voice where it used to just be you know the professionals here or there now it is you know anyone with a smartphone becomes a journalist or becomes a scholar and so one of the things that we realize we've had to do um, now or at least we should be doing as all this information comes in we analyze our sources right as we're watching the news or we're scrolling our Facebook or we're reading blogs, we're analyzing the sources and we're asking that question, can these people, can this source be trusted? Um, I, a whole I don't remember when or how this came into being, but now all of a sudden fact checking is like a whole industry, right? And there's a whole side, at least on my little news browser, for fact-checking, where they just are looking at all the stuff people are saying out there in the web and things, and saying, is that actually accurate? Because one of the things we found is Man, sometimes the lies take root in the human con- or in the in the uh, national consciousness and things before we even realize actually it's just lies but because we can get information out so fast it's already done damage before anybody's even refuted it and said no that's actually not how it went. And so we have this need now for fact-checking, for sizing up the source in particular, and making sure, listen, can we trust what's being said or not? And the thing is, is actually we're all prone to do this actually with God. And I recognize there's some healthy questioning and asking and wondering, but in reality, the one person we ought to just let speak without question, without doubt, without fact-checking, is the one who made everything is God who is over all. It's a wild thought to think that you and I, a lot of times when God's word comes at us, we're fact checking, if we're honest. We're sizing it up. Okay, so God's word says, I can't sleep with my girlfriend. Really? Okay, so God's word says, I can't cut some corners on my taxes. Be, be a little, just a little dishonest. Just a white lie as if such a thing existed. Really? Okay, God is saying, I can't get a divorce even though my marriage is a shipwreck and I hate my life. Come on out. Really? Can we fact check that? That seems a little outdated. It seems a little uh, uh, back, uh, you know, backwards. <laughs> it seems off, if I'm honest. It seems untrustworthy. It doesn't seem like the way to a fulfilled life. It seems like the way to kind of stunt my growth and stunt my freedom and aggravate my peace, as a matter of fact. Really, this is just a return to um, that age old temptation in Genesis 3 that I take us back to often because I think it's going on in our hearts all the time, where Satan turns to Eve, right? And what's his, what's his entry point uh, in terms of the, the spiritual warfare there? What's his entry point? Did God actually say? Is that really what he said? Do you really believe what he did? In other words, can he be trusted? You see sure you trust this guy this this prude who wants to keep something from you man I just want to give I say take I say eat drink and be merry and now what you want you really trust what he has to say every time we give in to sin it is a breach of trust, we're saying, yes, I know God says this, but is that really true and wise? Is that really the way to happiness and life? No, I think I know better. But the fear of the Lord, what we're learning here from this first aspect, the fear of the Lord says, listen, you are God, I am not, and I trust that God, as, as the author of Proverbs will say, I mean, God has really God uh, created the world in wisdom. He knows how it works. And to live in line with his revealed word is to live in line with the grain of the universe instead of cutting against it like we always do. And then we wonder why we're all scuffed up and bruised. To take God at his word and trust him wholeheartedly is wise. And it's fearing God above every other opinion, circumstance, or thing. Aspect number two, shifting weight. Shifting weight. The fear of the Lord entails shifting weight. Uh, If that doesn't make sense, it will in just a moment. Um, We continue on in verse 5, and we read this, where Solomon says, Do not lean on your own understanding. Um, You could see how this is related to the first, as I said. We're just kind of turning that diamond and catching it from another angle. The first was trust God. The second one is kind of like, don't trust yourself. Don't lean in on your own understanding. Um, and so now, I mean, I love this idea of, of, of leaning, uh, it's this picture and it's where I get the idea of shifting weights, the idea of where are you putting your weight? What are you uh, anticipating, thinking, believing will be able to hold you up and, and, and handle the weight of your life? Are you leaning in on your own understanding, your own intellect, your own plans, your own strength, or are you shifting your weight and, and leaning all of those things now upon God? Um, we went to the beach a couple of weeks ago, and um, Levi, while we were there, tweaked his ankle because, you know, we were doing little tricks or something, and um, And he tweaked his ankle, and what we noticed when we got home, it seems like he's fine now, but what we noticed when we got home is that he was favoring, he was kind of limping, and favoring the strong ankle, right? Like we all would do. Uh, But he still wanted to play, so he's out there, and we're just watching him, and I thought that's actually a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about, what Solomon is talking about here. The question is, uh, where are you leaning? Are you going to lean on, are you going to shift your weight onto the ankle that is, is tweaked and broke? Are you going to ultimately end up injuring and damaging it more, or are you going to put your weight on that which can truly hold you up? And so, when we lean on our own understanding, we are putting our weight on ourselves, and we will ultimately end up fracturing and failing and spiraling out and wondering why we're so full of fear and anxiety and shot up with a big mess inside of our hearts. Whereas, if we would shift our weight to the good ankle, as it were, to the God who can hold us, we would find that we can rest. We're on stable ground. Now, this is really uh, precisely what's happening with Job, if you're familiar with that story in the Old Testament. God is trying, really, to get him to shift his weight from leaning on his own understanding to leaning on the Lord, to fearing the Lord above everything else. Hey, I trust you. Uh, So, you know, you got over 30 some odd chapters of Job struggling and wrestling and arguing and even accusing God and all of these things. And then finally, uh, chapter 38, God speaks and we read this. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. You see, Job thought he knew what was going on and knew how God you know, wasn't right in some of these things and, and was bringing out accusations and other things against him because of the hardships of his life. And God says, listen, if you think you're so smart, you tell me, where were you when I you know, created the world? Where were you when I laid the foundations? Where were you when I, in other words, Job, I love you. But I'm God and you're not. And God just goes on for verse after verse even into the next chapter and then finally Job 42, Job just kind of gets it. He goes oh my goodness I understand I've been leaning on my own understanding and not On the Lord. And he says, now I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? (laughs) He's repeating what God said to him, just going, man, that was me. And then he comes out, this is Job 42, verse three. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You see, the fool comes out thinking that they know. No fear of God, just leaning on own understanding, and then Job is made wise here as he's shifting his weight from himself to me. I, I was speaking of stuff I didn't get it. You're the one who made the world. You're the one who who, who created this. To live uh, in line with your word is to live in 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 line with the grain of the universe. It's wisdom. It makes sense. What was I doing, cutting against it? I'm sorry. Now, this really, it seems to me, is actually what God is not just doing with Job. Um, he's doing it with all of us, and especially right now, it seems like he's almost doing it on a global level with the, with the whole COVID-19 crisis and things. Um, really, what this has done is just on a, on a, on a global level, just humiliated humanity, um, shown us in a sense, our own uh, weakness and frailty, our own inability to just, you know, fix everything in an instant or whatever. That our plans—they don't always work out like we think, especially here in America. Um, I remember I was uh, on a website ministry I appreciate, and I saw, I saw uh, some advertisement for a conference coming up in 2021. And I kid you not, my first honest response was, "Well, that's presumptuous to be thinking that you could plan." And be selling tickets or whatever for a conference okay i don't care if it's 2021 <laughs> that seems presumptuous if there's anything that covid 19 has taught us i'm not saying hear me i'm not saying don't make plans i'm not saying the ministry was wrong or anything i'm just saying i was intrigued by my response because i just wouldn't have even thought like that a few months ago but what covid 19 has taught me is oh my goodness i don't even know what tomorrow's gonna bring i mean i I went from thinking, I plan, I execute, it happens, yes, to, well, exactly what James calls us to in in James 4.15. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's it. That's all I got, right? No more leaning on our own understanding, our own strength, our own plans. But now it's just like, listen, if the Lord wills, we will live. And if we live, then we may do this or that. But that's about all we got, that's about all we can say. We are not self-made, self-actualized people. We're dependent, and this season um, is teaching us that at perhaps a deep and painful level, but the question for us then is, is are we leaning more in on our understanding? We're gonna figure it out. Or are we letting God kind of shift our weight onto him? True, solid ground. Are we truly coming into the fear of the Lord? Aspect number three um, here is this idea of ongoing communion. So the fear of the Lord entails this idea of ongoing communion. Solomon continues in verse six, and he says this In all of your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord. Um, now, the word for acknowledge here is the Hebrew word, yada, uh, the word for know. And it's an idea much richer than acknowledge, I think, um, suggests. It can have to do with the idea of like, being aware of, but even more than that, uh, the idea of fellowshipping or communing with um, God. So, I mean, it can actually even be used for the, the sexual relation that you would have with your spouse. You know her. You, you know him. Uh, And and so the idea is there's this intimate connection we have with God. And we may feel at first like, okay, that sounds good. I can have a little bit of that at the start of my day, the end of my day, or on Sundays or something. But where it really gets uh, uh, convicting is when we look at the rest of what Solomon says. He says, listen, acknowledge him in all your ways. That's where I just came back and said, oh, goodness, I feel exposed, I feel found out, (laughs) because I can do the touch-and-go thing. But man, in all your ways, in other words, in everything, all the day long, communing with Him, engaging with Him, intimate relation with Him. Um, And I realize that a lot of times, if I'm honest, I live like a functional orphan. I just live like a, a, a guy without a, fa- a heavenly father. Like it's on me. Or maybe he like gives me an allowance in the morning or something. <laughs> and I when I pray and I say, okay, help me. And he give, but then it's on me to kind of come up with more resources and figure out how the day's going to go. I don't live in all my ways acknowledging him, communing with him. Now, at, at this point, I, I thought of that old hymn by Hawks and Lowry, uh, I need thee every hour where they they write this I need thee every hour most gracious lord no tender voice like thine can peace afford I need thee every hour stay thou nearby temptations lose their power when thou art nigh I need thee every hour in joy or pain come quickly and abide or life is vain I need thee every hour, teach me thy will, and thy rich promises in me fulfill. So there's this awareness that it's an hour by hour desperate need of God, for God. And I wonder, when's the last time you felt like that? And you engaged God like that? I need you. Um, When this hymn was first published, in 1873, the verse that was attached to it, kind of under the title um, that they kind of appended to it, was John 15:5, which fittingly reads this. Uh, I am the vine, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We read that, and then it maybe sounds okay. But the truth of the matter is, is we, I don't think, uh, believe that. Um, We actually think we can get quite a lot done. In fact, if we're honest, we kind of feel like praying and abiding in Jesus slows us down. Why would I stop and get on my knees or whatever and pray and talk to God when I can just go do it, right? Am I the only one who kind of, feels that way sometimes, like, let me just get get my hands, I'll start praying, and before I know it, I'm scheduling meetings, and writing out an action plan, I'm going, wait, how did, Lord, I'm sorry, because what I'm doing there is exposing the fact that I, I'm still relying on myself, I'm not communing with you, I'm not knowing you, and all of these things, I'm just kind of touching and going, and then on my way, And we can do a lot of stuff, but it's what, you know, the scriptures would call just vain labor, where we just, we work and we sweat, we eat the bread of anxious toil, but we go nowhere. We build with hay, stubble, straw, but we don't create anything that lasts, because we're doing it in our own strength, doing a lot of things, but maybe not the right thing. The only way we can kind of start to do things in the right way and the right things would be if we're in communion with him. Surrendered to him, you mix up my day, you lead me, acknowledging him in all of our ways that's another aspect of fearing the Lord. aspect number four uh, inviting counsel, and if at this point you're getting worried, uh, I can assure you the second uh point is shorter so uh don't don't worry. Uh, Aspect number four, inviting counsel, inviting counsel. The text continues down in verse seven with yet another command uh, where Solomon says, be not wise in your own eyes. So it's just another riff again from a different angle on the same idea. And I could have taken this various places, but I opted to take it uh, in this direction. Uh, I think what Solomon is saying here is we need to be open to the counsel of others Uh, certainly God's, as we've already seen, his word, his will, his understanding, his ways, communing with him. But now I think another another kind of vantage point opens up where uh, we're supposed to invite the counsel of other people. We're not supposed to just be wise in our own eyes. In fact, it's the mark of the, of the fool in the book of Proverbs to, to be wise in his own eyes and his own eyes alone, might I add. Where he thinks he's got it, he thinks he knows, and everyone looking in is going, you don't, you don't see what we see? You, you don't got it, man. I, I thought at this point of... Um, Always love Matt Chandler's illustrations. Uh, uh, I listened to a sermon uh, by him. He's the president of Acts 29, um, network that we're a part of. And uh, he was talking about a similar uh, situation, uh, making a similar point as the one I'm making now. And he mentioned American Idol, the auditions on American Idol. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, I have, I, I happen to like the show. And the auditions, sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're just downright uh, embarrassing, right? And so Matt was talking about how, you know, you get these people who come in sometimes and, uh, listen, well-meaning here, we're not trying to make fun of anybody, but just trying to make a biblical point, Uh, but they'll come in and, man, they are rock stars in their own mind, right? Right? They've even got like the gear on. They got the crazy hairdo. They're ready to just do this or they're doing like dance moves and they open their mouth to sing and everybody uh, there, you know, in the, uh, at the desk there as they're kind of hearing them and everybody at home across America is going, oh no, oh no. Brother, sister, you... You can't sing. don't don't do that. Oh, man. In other words, here's what happens. There's a breakdown somewhere along the way where we become awesome in our own minds in our own eyes, and yet no one, either Either people were trying to tell us and we wouldn't listen, or we didn't have a friend who was a good enough friend to say, don't go on America and, and, and embarrass yourself like that. Let's get you some lessons. Let's get you, and, and, and then we'll take it from there. But so what happens is, is we have a lot of people, we're prone to this, to, to, uh, uh, be wise in our own eyes. Everyone's looking in going, I see that something's off, but we feel like we're great. And so what Solomon is calling us to here is, listen, no, no, no. Wisdom and the fear of the Lord leads you to be open. And even, not just open to, but, but it makes you want to invite and, and, and call for the opinion and the counsel of others. So Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people fail, uh, falls But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15.22, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Those who are truly wise want others speaking into their life, and that's actually a part of this fear of the Lord that we're talking about. Because it's an awareness. I don't know. And God puts other people in my life as well that can help speak. I don't see everything. And altogether, we can see a lot more of the picture. So speak, share, tell me. So are you inviting the counsel of others or not? Uh, Aspect number five, and this is the last one, is this idea of uncompromising obedience. Uncompromising obedience. Solomon goes on to say... Uh, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There at the latter part of verse seven. Um, and what I want you to see so that, there really has been this sort of progression to this point in all that we've looked at, and it's actually quite profound when we see it. Um, we first kind of come to know and trust the Lord as he's revealed himself in his word, right? So we, we know and we trust him. And as we trust him and we meditate on his word and all this, we sh- begin to shift the weight uh, of our own kind of you know understanding of things onto him. We, we stop trusting in our own understanding and, and begin trusting in his interpretation of reality, in in His Word, we're 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 leaning more into God, and we're daily, hour by hour, uh, uh, talking with Him. You know, continuing to ask Him for guidance and counsel, continuing to cast our cares upon Him because He cares for us and all this. So we're doing that, and then we're also, or man, we need more. We need the body of Christ, and so we ask other people to help us and give us guidance and counsel. Maybe I misinterpreted that scripture a little bit. Maybe I don't fully see what God wants. I can't tell you how many times God has used other people to help me see more clearly his word and what I ought to do and help lift some of that burden and enter into the communion with me. It's powerful, but then the upshot of all of this is actually now where we are, aspect five, that we start to live differently. That when God reveals through all these various means and we're communing with him and things, we actually start to walk that out. That we turn from sin. We don't dabble with sin. We don't manage sin. We kill it. We flee from it. We turn away from it. That's what Solomon is saying here. The fear of the Lord in its most ultimate sense is a turning away from evil. Uh, so we see a number of, of places in scripture where this reality comes out. I'm going to give us two texts that make this plain, one from a negative perspective and the other from a positive. Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul just kind of piling on various quotes from the Old Testament says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. You listen to that, you go, wow, that is a somber estimation of humanity, but he closes like this in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So in other words, why is there so much sin running rampant in the world? Well, at bottom, the answer is simple. There is no fear of God. Putting it positively, Philippians 2.12, Paul writes this now, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the reverse is also true, where you see a person working out their salvation and their sanctification, where you see a person fastidiously obedient, uncompromisingly obedient, wanting to please his master and Lord. What you have is someone who at the core has this, what Solomon's talking about, this fear of the Lord. It doesn't matter if Paul is in town or not, I want to obey what God says. It's not about people seeing me. It's about him and trusting him, walking with him, leaning on him, all of that, turning from evil. So I wonder, I wonder if you're dabbling with sin right now, kind of managing it, or if you're fleeing from it. Now, second heading, and and this is uh, where I'll start to draw things to a close. Um, what the fear of the Lord affects. We've seen what it entails. Now we want to know what it brings about in the life of the person who has it. Because Solomon talks about that as well. I skipped over certain parts if you noticed. And this really is where we kind of wrap back around full circle to, to what I began with. Um, and, and let me show you um, this in, 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 in our text, and actually maybe even before I do, um, let me reiterate kind of in a different way what we had said at the beginning. The the irony, uh, what we see is that in, in fearing the Lord above all else, um, we come to find that we aren't afraid of anything else. So the chief kind of effect in the life of a person who fears the Lord is ironically, surprisingly, that they're afraid of nothing else. There's a certain peace that comes to mark us Um, God puts us back together outside and in, he reorders our lives And our hearts, and let me now show you where that uh, appears in the text. So, Proverbs three, verse six: He will make straight your paths. When you live this way, when you live out the fear of the Lord in all these various aspects, He will make straight your paths. Your life will kind of be put back together. There will be a certain straightness to it. Oh, sure, it gets hard. I don't hear that, but it'll be marching towards a goal and towards a, a a purpose. And God will see to it that He's with you in. It and you will not be alone or down in verse eight he adds another layer to this that gets even more kind of in internal and, and, and inside of our hearts he says it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones so man you feel sick you feel you know like we use the phrase worried sick you just feel all twisted up and knotted and when you start to live out when you have the fear of the lord all of a sudden there's there's like this healing that takes place in your heart, in your body, or, 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 you know, we're thirsty and we're longing and we're wondering why are we so parched in soul? And he's saying there's going to be refreshment for your bones when you live this way. For those who fear the Lord and they come to fear nothing else, listen, there's going to be this sort of peace that marks them and this satisfaction in these things. Let me kind of show you how this works. Again, maybe first taking kind of the negative example and then... Shifting towards the positive um, when there is no fear of the lord it 's um, w- at least as it 's been unfolded here, what we come to realize is it just makes sense that you 're going to be full of anxiety, broken, broken heart, uh, twisted up life, because think about it, you are not submitting to him you 're not trusting in him you 're trusting in yourself you 're not turning to revelation from outside you're trying to come up with the plan and the ideas from within you' you're you're not open to the counsel of others you think you're wise in your own eyes and now you feel this weight like I got to prove it to all of them and so there's this chip on your shoulder and then you're willing to compromise and sin and cut corners to try to get what you were after all along you're not uncompromisingly obedient instead you, you you're, you're making all of these little little kind of you know know shortcuts and things and now you're afraid that people are gonna find out that this is what's become of your life you're building on this foundation and maybe it was fun for a little while being outside the yoke of God and doing this stuff but now you're watching as your, your your life the foundation of your life is cracking it cannot hold it's gonna give way and so there's fear and anxiety all over the place and you're worried about maybe your career, or your portfolio, or your kids, or your relationships, or your health, or whatever it may be. When I am not living in the fear of the Lord, I can become uh, worried and anxious about ministry, feeling like I got to figure out the plan. It's up to me to figure out how this church is going to go forward in a, you know, in a COVID-19 era, and where we're going to meet, and what we're going to do. And I start acting like it's on my shoulders, and it just crushes me. And then you wonder, well, oh oh man, what? it's like I don't, I'm living like God isn't here. What we realize is I'm, I'm not living in the fear of the Lord. I'm afraid of all sorts of other things, but I'm not afraid of Him. I'm not trusting in Him. I'm not seeing Him as over it all. And that really leads us to that more positive example. On the other hand, we get it, I think, when we know God when we see um, what He's done for us at Calvary, when we get what true Jesus is and how He's come and died and laid down His life to forgive and wash and help, and, and we see the steadfast love of our Father through the scriptures and through our own personal history with Him, and we understand, oh my goodness, you know, that He can be trusted that he is big and he is powerful, that he is taking this somewhere and that we can actually commune with him moment by moment and we start to do that and, and roll our burdens onto him and when we actually enter into the fellowship of the saints and we're now not alone, we got, we got brothers and sisters shouldering that burden with us, praying with us as well for these things and then we start to walk out on it and we take those steps of faith and he meets us there. What we realize man, is we are on solid ground in those moments and we feel it in our soul. We get that the one who is over all things is actually watching over and walking with me. And that is stabilizing even in the most chaotic times. And that's what Solomon wants for us here. That's what God wants for us here. I love what Solomon says later. Listen to this. and Later in the chapter. Uh, Proverbs 3 he goes on and says this my son do not lose sight of these keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble if you lie down you will not be afraid when you lie down your sleep will be sweet did you hear that is when you lie down you will not be afraid your sleep will be sweet you see sleep is that place where we are as human beings most exposed to the whims and will of 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 all the evil that's around us we're not in control we're not we're just kind of laying there lifeless And that could be an absolutely dreadful thing for those who are responsible in their own minds for making things happen and protecting themselves. But when we know that the one who never slumbers and never sleeps is keeping us, we can lay down unafraid regardless of what's going on and we can have sweet rest. We can have peace. The fear of God drives out all other fears. It's what God wants for you. It's what Solomon wants for you. It's what I want for you. It's why Jesus has come. I love this. I I mentioned in the beginning how, um, you know, the book of Proverbs kind of reminds us we have this father in heaven who has gone before us and speak wisely into our lives and guide us through hard situations. Well, I want you to realize we have more than just a father. We actually have a wise older brother as well in Jesus. The scriptures call him the firstborn among many brothers and uh, talk about how he has gone ahead of us, um, even kind of through the cross. And, and he's conquered these things and remained through it all, uh, reverencing his father, fearing his father, even when it seemed like all was going wrong, holding his ground. And we're told in Hebrews that he was heard as he prayed because he feared God. And he makes it through to the other side and sends his spirit back. So we've got, we've got the father and this older brother who's now present with us by the Holy Spirit. And they're all intending to help us get through these things. Help us fear God instead of all this other stuff that's going down around us. Help us see him. Help us trust him. Help us lean in on him. Help us commune with him and cry out, Abba, Father, throughout all the day. Knit us together with saints and help us walk in obedience step by step by step. That's what Jesus came. That's why he died. That's why he sent his spirit. We are well taken care of, church. I'll end with this. Uh, there's this text in the book of Acts where Luke is describing what's going on in the early church, and he writes this Acts 9 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. I wonder if you caught that. It's so beautiful. The fear of the Lord doesn't mean they're weighed down by fear. It actually is accompanied by peace and comfort and joy. And it's how the church was intended to walk in troubling times. And God will even use that to uh, multiply his mission as it goes forward. And I pray he does that for us. I pray he does that for you. So let's pray. Well, God, right now, We do lay our burdens down. We do confess that we are prone to fear everything else except for the one thing worthy of it. God, we do confess, man, maybe we've been living in sin. We've been dabbling with it or maybe we've been in it headlong. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he makes a way back for the God-belittling, for the God-rebelling. We thank you that you You purchase us with your blood. That you pour out your spirit. and Renew us from the inside out. And you make a way. And Jesus, I know uh, this is hard. I know a lot of us don't understand why the things are happening that are happening. But we know the God who is over it all. Open our eyes afresh to see you. Meet with us. Lift our burdens. Take away our fears. Replace them with the fear of you and the fear of you alone. Jesus' name. Amen.